Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 with me, please. Let's take some time, get in the Word of God, be encouraged. I'm so grateful for what today has meant for many families and just the, what God has done in healing, restoring, and bringing us to, to a closer walk with Him. And I pray that uh, it's not over for you in your life tonight, uh, that God will continue to minister to your needs uh, and continue to challenge each of us this evening. According to the Genesis Book of World Records, Hetty Green may have been the biggest miser who ever lived. Uh, her father died when she was 30, leaving her an inheritance of more than $100 million in today's money. Though it was unusual for a woman to be involved in banking and investments at the time, she concentrated all of her efforts and, intention and attention on growing the family fortune. She was focused on this end. Her focus on money drove a wedge between her husband and their two children, and the family was scattered. Known for eating cold oatmeal to save money for heating and washing only the hem of her dress to save money on soap, she was sometimes called the Witch of Wall Street. When her son Ned broke his leg as a boy, she tried to have him treated in a free clinic for the poor before treating him at home. His leg would later have to be amputated. When she died, Hetty Green was worth the equivalent of some $4 billion today. But she was alone and miserable. We think about Hetty Green and we think about her focus in life and I think she missed the mark. What do you think? I think she missed what was really important in life. And we think about Mother's Day and a Mother's Day is a great time to remember our focus. Remember our focus on the people that God's given us, but most importantly on the Savior. And tonight as we look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, we're reminded so keenly of the focus that God calls us to uh, as a church specifically, but also in our lives. As believers, as Christians, today God has called us to keep a focus on Him. And so let's look uh, together, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Let's stand for just a moment and let's stretch our legs and, and uh, read these first four verses. Uh, someone told me they were going to sleep on the back row and I'm not going to mention that they were teenagers. And so uh, I'm just going to say if they fall asleep back there, someone pinch them. All right. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse number 1. My son got excited over that. <laughs> For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you, that it was not in vain. But even that we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as you know at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile, verse 4, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel... Even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this uh, text tonight. Thank you for the Word of God. Thank you for the privilege of being here together and being reminded of the focus that you've called us to as a church. And Father, may you be the center of all that we do. Lord, that in our purpose, in our passion, Lord, in our worship, everything about our lives, may it be centered upon your Son. Father, may I say, I love you, I'm thankful for you, and may my life uh, be a testimony to that end. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated tonight. Last week we looked at the first three verses of this chapter and uh, just want to continue on and finish this thought uh, that we started about methods that matter. And so we talked about last week this method of boldness and how that Paul entered into Thessalonica and the church in, in uh, Thessalonica and, and after he had been beaten and abused and he chose to just follow truth no matter where it may lead. And sometimes that's not always easy. 
Uh, being able to speak the truth, as, uh, as we know as parents, sometimes it's difficult for our children. But being able to speak the truth about God sometimes is hard as well. I appreciate uh, the testimony that uh, Brother McCarty shared with me. He was able to witness to some Chinese folks when he went out to eat for lunch today. Uh, being able to follow the truth no matter where it may be, Chinese restaurant or wherever, it did uh, help that he could speak Chinese and, and a little bit of Cantonese to them, so that helped a little bit. But we have some Chinese tracks out in the rack. If you don't know it, uh, you can hand those to them. And so, but, but just being able to follow the truth wherever it may lead is important. And we saw that in Paul's life as he went from Philippi to Thessalonica and throughout Macedonia. And so as he followed the Lord, through every step we see that he, he let the truth of God's will and the truth of God's way lead him. And then, then we looked also and we saw that God led him to speak truth. Speak it, because as he wrote later in, in Romans, I am not ashamed of the gospel of, of Christ. And so he's very adamant in his witness. He's very adamant in his determination to just continue to follow the Lord. And we were reminded how much of us need boldness and that boldness truly comes from God. It's not something that, um, that you know, we just uh, magically snap our fingers and it's here, but instead it was something that God gifts uh, and God grants when we ask it. And we saw that in the first church as well. Uh, and I'm just going to reshare this quote with you because I thought it was great. In regards to Paul's life, it says, Hence it is clear that the characteristic boldness of the apostle was not mere natural courage, though he was not devoid of that, but the calm fearlessness that comes of the conscious presence of God. And so let me remind you today that maybe, maybe you're a little bashful, a little shy. Just continue to speak truth uh, even when, when we are a little bit shy. And so tonight as we continue, I want to share one last, one other method with you, and that's the method of focus. And I believe that God's called us to a focus, and sometimes we have a tendency to drift over time. Uh, maybe we've been saved for a number of years, and it's easy to get our, uh, our focus on things that don't really matter. Focus is defined as the center of interest or activity. Uh, and so when we think about focus tonight, sometimes uh, people, their focus is sports. Anybody like uh, college football? Am I? Amen. I, I think Sister Shirley loves the Oklahoma Sooners. <laughs> oh, it was, it was Clemson. That's who it was. All right. I'm, I'm, done, I'm done messing with her. She loves Roll Tide. So, you know, and some people, they, they have a focus on football or maybe it's fishing. Any fishermen out there right now? Amen. Brother Cooper over here sold his, sold his go-kart so he could buy a boat so he could go fishing more often. I, I, I just thought it was great. You know, we have different focuses in life. Sometimes it's cars, sometimes it's sports, sometimes it's other things. But listen, this early church, when Paul came into the church in Thessalonica, we see that he had an intense focus upon God. Uh, above everything else, if you look in verse 4, it says, But as we were allowed of God to be put in, tr in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. Paul's concern was first and foremost about God. He was responsible to Him. He was entrusted by Him. And as a result, for years, he, he focused all his attention, all his, uh, his, his, uh, everything that he did on the Lord. In, our, uh, in the world today, especially in America, we see a growing movement uh, throughout our country called the seeker-sensitive movement in churches. Many churches, including independent Baptist churches, have been influenced by a philosophy that is very man-centered. And so instead of being God-centered, they become very man-centered. Well, what does it take to get those into the church? Uh, you know, and being focused on those things. And really, it's a postmodern thought instead of that of, uh, of, uh, of more concentrated on the Lord. These churches oftentimes aren't basing these changes on the Word of God, 
but instead on uh, what would attract men uh, to, uh, to church. And so there's great danger in this, I believe. And, and if you look at Revelation chapter 3, I think we could turn there uh, together and see in Revelation 3 a church uh, that uh, struggled in this as well. Revelation chapter 3 and verse number 14 Christ talks about the different churches in the book of Revelation, and He comes to the church in Laodicea, and, and we think about this as the lukewarm church, but this is what He said. He says, And unto the angel of the church of Laodiceans writes, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I, I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in fire that thou mayest be rich and, uh, and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous therefore and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Excuse me. So we see here in really a sad testimony in the book of Revelation chapter 3, when Jesus Christ is on the outside of the church, knocking, knocking on the doors of the church. Truly, this is a ta sad testimony for the church in Laodicea as literally Christ is on the out outside knocking in. He was pushed out of His own church. Uh, may we always have a goal of pleasing and glorifying God at Hillside Baptist Church. May we always keep our focus on God above everything else, first and foremost, with Him as the principal figure and not man. It's not about a pastor. It's not about what our preferences. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. And I just want to remind you, He's got to be the center of all that we do. So let's look together at 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verses 3 and 4. And so as we look here, I want to remind you what, what Paul wrote to 2 Timothy here as he tried to just encourage this young, young preacher in the faith. And he wrote and he says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Our goal is not to please a group, a denomination, or the unregenerate, unregenerate man or woman living in our community, but our goal is always and must always to please God. And sometimes that's going to mean that uh, we're not going to be men pleasers. Sometimes it's going to mean that uh, it's not going to be eye service, but that's biblical. Ephesians 6, 6 says, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. I'm not saying we've got to be hateful and belligerent, but what I am saying is we've got to keep him the center of all that we do. We must be savior sensitive, not seeker sensitive. First, the first, oh, excuse me, Colossians chapter 1 and verse 17, you can look there with me. Colossians 1, 17 through 19. It says, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. Listen, what, we're, what we see here and what we're emphasizing is that Christ is the head of the church, 
Christ is the Savior of the church, and He is the one that must have preeminence. Because guess who owns the church? Jesus Christ. We don't own this church. You say, well, we're, we're working toward paying off the building. Well, yes, amen, praise the Lord by God's grace and by God's ability. Uh, you know, our hope and prayer is to be able to pay this off. I'm, I'm hoping for our 50th anniversary. Wouldn't that be a blessing? But listen, Christ owns the church. He died for the church. You and I, we didn't die for it. And so the Bible speaks to pastors in 1 Peter, and he challenged them, uh, challenges pastors truly to be overseers of the flock. Uh, uh, the pastor is not the... Uh, the uh, uh, the one who owns the church. The pastor is not the one uh, who is the, uh, uh, the shepherd. He is the under-shepherd. Christ is the shepherd. And so he says this in, in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse number 3. Neither is being lords over God's heritage, but it being examples or ensamples to the flock. And so let me remind you that, that uh, you know, I, I'm not God. And, and praise the Lord for that. Amen? And, but what we want to do is keep the emphasis on Him. And let Him get the praise and let Him get the glory and let Him be the preeminent one in all that we do. Because listen, the church is the Lord's heritage. Acts chapter 20 and verse number 28. I love what the Apostle Paul wrote to encourage us here. He says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and unto all the flock over which the Holy Ghost had made you overseers to feed the, flo- uh, the church of God which He hath purchased with His own blood. And so listen, this is the Lord's heritage, and we just want to continue to, to be faithful in it. And so I don't have the, the mentality personally that I'm worried about pleasing the, the crowd around me. I'm worried about pleasing the one above me. He is the, the preeminent one in all that we want to do. The true, local, excuse me, the true local New Testament church is an institution that Jesus Christ gave His own life to purchase unto Himself. If you look in Ephesians chapter 5, Turn there with me. We're going to read several verses out of this together. Ephesians chapter 5, we see that Jesus Christ purchased the church. In Ephesians 5, we read about the husband-wife relationship, but it's in the context as well of Christ's relationship with the church. Listen, and that's what makes the marriage relationship so special. And verse number 23 is where we're going to start. husband is the head of the wife. Even as Christ is the head of the church, and He is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be unto their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives. Even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it, that He might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. That He might present it to Himself a glorious church, not having spots or wrinkle, or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Hillside, let me just encourage you. Christ, we belong to Him. Everything else, everything that we do, everything that we say, every song that we sing, uh, every, uh, the message that is shared, should all be centered around Him. He is the preeminent one. And so we see here that the the Apostle Paul, as he came into the church in Thessalonica, that above everything else, he wasn't a man-pleaser, he was a God-pleaser. He wasn't worried about what the crowds had to think, and we see that's pretty evident with his preaching. He might have been a little bit harsh, amen? You think about being stoned and being imprisoned and different things, but what I see in the Apostle Paul is that he just desired to please God above everything else. And so we also see that he was focused on the gospel. 
The gospel's got to continue to be our focus as a church. The message of the church must always be focused around Christ, His death, burial, and resurrection. Listen, that's what brings the world hope, doesn't it? And, and as we consider that, the gospel is, is promoted by the church, but it's also promoted at home. In our homes, in, in, in my home, in your home, each of us, we must make a determination that Christ is going to be lifted up. That we're going to make sure the gospel is always talked about. Jesus Christ is always shared. We pray for our missionaries in our home. On a nightly basis, we pick a missionary out of our list, and, and, and we just, uh, our, our children typically will pick the missionary, and then uh, we'll take that missionary, and all of us will go around the circle, and we'll pray for that missionary. I mean, sometimes it's the same prayer from my, from my kids, but, but listen, what they're praying for is, is people uh, that they have memorized where they live. Uh, they pray that souls would be saved in another country. They pray that the church would be established. And, and I'm telling you what, uh, that's helping them to establish this focus on the gospel. And so we've got to continue to be focused there. The message of the church hasn't changed. And excuse me, the message of the church shouldn't change. Over the centuries, we've seen the church has changed its message, but we cannot. We must not ever change our message. And I love what 2 Timothy, uh, again later, 2 Timothy, we're reminded here. Uh, Paul wrote to, to Timothy and he said, I charge thee therefore in, verse, in uh, chapter 4, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at His appearing and His kingdom, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned into fables." The, mes the message uh, may be better received when we turn it into fables. But is God glorified? Listen, the message, maybe the world wants us to preach fables, but let me just encourage you, God wants us to preach His Word. We, we don't have to add anything to it, we just need to proclaim it. We don't need to rewrite it, we just need to reread it. And so tonight, we just need to just continue to keep that focus on the gospel as a church. We cannot change, we will not change the, the message to please men. And at times the message may seem confrontational because anytime somebody tells you you're a sinner, it's going to feel a little confrontational, isn't it? Anytime somebody looks at you and says uh, there's no repentance, no remission of sins except by the blood, it's going to be a little bit confrontational. And so my, con my conviction and my desire is just to continue to remain steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, and that's going to mean promoting the gospel above everything else. So there's going to be some that remove the distasteful portions. Well, we don't necessarily like that anymore in our society, so we're just going to not preach on that. But listen, we've got to continue to preach the full counsel of God. We've got to continue to preach on tithing when it's not comfortable. We've got to continue to preach on uh, the truth about sin, even when we don't want to hear it. We've got to be willing to get our toes stepped on, and then when our toes get stepped on, do something about it. Amen? This is what Paul said. He says, I am a debtor. Did you catch that? A debtor. He said, listen, I'm not just a, a preacher, but I am a debtor, both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. Listen, we are debtors today. Uh, we are debtors to the lost world. We are debtors to those lost in Springfield, those lost in Missouri, and those lost throughout the, endless, the ends of the, the world. We are debtors to the lost in, in our world today. And he goes on and he says, So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are in, at Rome also, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? Because it is, for it is the power of God unto salvation. 
to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I'm so grateful that Paul was willing to be a debtor. I'm grateful that, that he saw his responsibility as a debtor to those around him. Listen, I, I don't know if we could trace our, our lineage back where it would land, but I, I'm fairly certain our lineage would, would come fairly close to this, this era. And, and I'm fairly certain that we could, as a Baptist, could probably say, yep, we're right there at the beginning. We see the, this lineage, and, and we could trace our salvation all the way back to there. And let me just remind you here in, in Romans chapter 1 that, uh, that Paul was reminding us that we continue to carry the mark of a debtor. Who do we owe? We owe the Lord. He bought us. We owe those around us who are lost because we have something so precious. We need to share it with them. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1 with me, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 18. Paul wrote this as well to the church in Corinth. And I'm grateful for, uh, for this. I know, I think this is Brother Moses' favorite verse, if I remember right. Is that right, Brother Moses? 1 Corinthians 1.18? I thought so, yeah. And so he says, For the preaching of the cross is to them with, uh, that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudence. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Sometimes, uh, you know, I'm amazed by what God can do with preaching. I'm amazed by what God can do when we just get up and we proclaim the Word of God. I'm amazed when, when God allows us to see another sinner come down the aisle and be saved. I'm amazed when somebody is willing to say, you know what, because of what God has done in my life, I want to serve Him on the mission field. I want to, I want to serve God as a pastor. I'm amazed when people uh, truly surrender their lives to Him. And what it re re reminds me of tonight is that they are Savior-sensitive. And so tonight, let me just encourage us, let's continue to be Savior-sensitive as a church. Let's continue to be focused on Him. Let's continue to see that God wants us in our church, in our home, and, and wherever we go to have that right focus on the Lord. Just like Paul had in verse 4. But we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel. He knew that he was entrusted with the gospel to take that gospel and carry it into the uttermost parts of the world. And so he continued to do so. And we too have that same desire. And then, and not only that, but he also said uh, a focus on God, as he said. But he didn't, uh, didn't, he wasn't a man pleaser, but he's worried about God. In 1992, a Los Angeles County parking control officer saw a Cadillac that was illegally parked. The officer ignored the man sitting in the driver's seat and wrote up his ticket and shoved it in the, in the window of the car and just continued on down the way. Didn't give it another thought. He left his ticket and just kept rolling. What was remarkable about this particular event was there was a man in the seat, but several hours later they found out that the man was already deceased. He was shot. It should have been obvious what had gone on, but the officer was so focused on writing that pretty pink ticket. Amen. Anybody's known one like that before? that he didn't even notice the obvious in front of him. Let me just remind us tonight as a church, 
There are people all around us who are dead in their trespasses and sins. There's people all around us that are lost and on their way to hell. Yet many Christians are so preoccupied with whatever they're doing here that they're not focused there. John Phillips said this. He was talking about Paul and he was talking about the, uh, Timothy and Silas. He said, Turn such men loose and they evangelize the world. Set men like Paul at liberty, and they will march into city after city with the gospel, shaking, uh, shaking Satan's kingdom to its foundation. They will strengthen churches, win souls, disciple converts, and engage in missionary work to the end of time. What was the difference? They were focused. Focused with an intensity that never left up all their life. May we continue to have that kind of focus. May we as a church continue to be focused on the souls around us. May we, can, may we be bold in our witness. May we choose to focus on the Savior above everything else. Not be seeker-sensitive, but Savior-sensitive. Focus on the Lord above everything else in our church, and our homes, and our lives.